Welcome to Homeschool Companion, your source for information, motivation, and inspiration. If you're part of the homeschool community or simply interested in learning more about home-based education, stay tuned. Together we'll examine the latest resources, learning styles, and teaching techniques. We'll speak with experts in the field to help you uncover every homeschool advantage. We'll also present suggestions on how to keep Christ in the curriculum as we explore fresh ways to teach and learn. Here's your homeschool companion host, author, educator, and children's ministry specialist, Dr. Rose Gamblin. Welcome, welcome. I'm Dr. Rose Gamblin, and I'm here with Julie Bogart, and uh, she is a popular voice of common sense and compassion for home educators, parents, educate, traditional educators, online coaching community, the Homeschool Alliance, and her podcast and her YouTube channel have been lifelines for tens of thousands of weary homeschool educators all over the world. She's the creator of the award-winning innovative online writing program called Brave Writer. And I'm going to ask you a little bit about that just in a minute. She has educated her five children at home, and they're now lifelong learners, globetrotting all over the world. Today, Julie lives in Cincinnati, Ohio, and can be found sipping a cup of tea, planning her next visit to one of her lifelong learning uh, kids. Welcome to the show, Julie. And just tell us a little bit about the Brave Writer Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Brave Writer is the company that I built starting in January 2000 that addressed a common concern homeschooling parents had. There was a ton of writing curricula on the market. I mean, you could find it, you know, available at conventions and online and in homeschool communities. But universally, parents explained that even though the curriculum told them what to do, what kinds of writing they should be doing, what the assignments ought to include, they often still found the writing process cranky. Kids who were resistant or had writer's block or said that the pencil hurt their hands or would only write two or three insipid sentences after they had been so verbally fluent moments before. So I come from a professional writing background. My mother has authored 70 books. Uh, her most recent one is, I think, Growing Old Ain't for Wimps. It's a devotional with Harvest House for senior citizens. She has been in that field for my entire life. And so I grew up with the tools of professional writing, which was a really powerful, uh, a powerful way for me to learn to be a writer myself. So what happened is once I had my own kids and I was hanging out with other homeschooling families, People sought me out. I worked as a professional freelance writer and ghostwriter and magazine editor, and I was able to give my kids a kind of uh, education in writing that a lot of families did not have uh, available to them. So I put those materials together and I built curriculum and online classes that are meant to facilitate parents in that experience. That that is so cool. I mean, I I know of so many young people who like the glamour of becoming a published author, but they don't have the self-discipline or the tools to actually make it happen, and this is a way that they could make it happen. Well, let's get back on what we're really here today to talk about, and that is your book, The Brave Learner. And if you want to 
learn more, you can check this website out right now, thebravelearner.com, or you can go to bravewriter.com. Both of those are Julie's websites. So how many years did you homeschool altogether, your own children? So I had five children that I homeschooled full-time for 17 years. Uh, Then I had some kids who did a little bit of part-time enrollment at the local high school, and my youngest children did high school at the local high school. One did two years, one did three years, one did four years. So we spent 17 years. My oldest two kids were homeschooled all the way through. And uh, that was my experience with them. So you had five children. You look so young yes. to have five children. I mean, and for them to all be grown. You are so nice. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> well, you know, I started in my started in my mid-20s, right? So I'm 57 today, and my oldest child is 31. Uh, he just got married, actually, two weeks ago. So my first child to finally get married. But they are all very independent, low-prodding people. I have a daughter who lives in Mexico and is a life coach. I have a son who is a human rights lawyer and works in Thailand. I have another son who works uh, with a foundation in Miami, Florida, and a daughter who works in San Diego, California for a startup there. So they live all over the place, but my oldest, fortunately, lives in Cincinnati, and I like to tell him that he gets favorite child points forever because of that decision. (laughs) So if you had it to do all over again, would you still choose to homeschool? Oh, my. It is literally the one decision that I have made that I've never regretted, not for a second. Uh, My memories of homeschooling are more precious to me each passing year. And my children routinely tell me that their experience of being homeschooled laid a foundation for their own understanding of how to grow, how to learn how to have the lives that they believe are important to them. So yeah, I think we would all choose it again. Yes, and I think it, of course, I wouldn't be spending so much of my life doing radio shows on the topic of homeschool if I didn't think it was the most ideal form of education. I know, Mm. I understand that not all Mm. parents can do it, but if you can do it, It is the most ideal school. Now, I want to really delve into your book, The Brave Learner, Finding Everyday Magic in Homeschool Learning and Life. And this is not just a book for homeschooling families. This is a book for any family. So in your introduction, you stated, seeing your mind's eye, an eager face, excited to share writing with you, see another face enjoying the effort it takes to master an algebraic equation, pretend it's the end of the school year, you and your children share happy memories about all the fun learning experiences you've had and all the time that you've had together and and you've just loved it. Now, wouldn't that be great? So was that your experience? So, of course, like any human being, we have our ideals and then we have the reality that we live. And I would say that on balance, homeschooling in our family was deeply satisfying if we look at it on the whole, correct? That does not mean that there weren't day-to-day frustrations or times where I was mystified or frustrated by a particular challenge. For example, my youngest daughter, my fifth child, after I had successfully taught four kids to read, did not break through in reading until she was almost 10 years old. There were moments between the age of 5 and 10 when she so desperately wanted to read, 
And we kept running into the brick wall of her inability that I felt desperate. There were times when I made the mistake of, you know, blaming her for not trying hard enough or I would shop for more curriculum. But it was through those challenges that I started to identify the properties of what causes learning to occur. So it's not about just rigor, discipline, doing education to our children. It's really becoming a detective, getting to know your children as they are in their peculiarity and their particularity, and then meeting them as a collaborator, helping them succeed not simply leaving them on an island and expecting them to figure it out and being disappointed when they don't. So for me, part of the journey of raising my children was discovering these foundational forces that lead to the ability to retain the information your parent is teaching or your teacher is teaching. You know, I just love that. I, I teach in a school where my students have me through many grades because I'm in a small church school. And I do, I make it my study to learn how they learn, to learn what makes them tick, so to speak. And I feel very happy if we do come to the end of the school year and they're sad that the school year is over and they're remembering all of the fun things we had. I mean, sometimes it was an experiment that went awry or you know, go being outside and falling in the mud or something like that. But it still adds to the overall, the whole child. We, we want yes. to educate the whole child. Oh, 100%. And in fact, what's so awesome is that the brain research backs that up. Uh, I was listening to a podcast recently by an educator for teachers where she was talking about the fact that too often in the classroom, kids aren't doing anything more than information in information out. Mm -hmm. So they're listening to a lecture, they're writing down the PowerPoint notes, they're studying and taking a test. And this educator was explaining to teachers that it's important for kids to actually use their bodies, interact and collaborate, experience novelty attached to the learning. And I thought, well, hello, that's what my whole book is about. I talk about four forces of enchantment, surprise, mystery, risk, and adventure and how these properties actually drive the learning experience home. You know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever done one of those math problems where you keep adding and subtracting numbers and mm -hmm. it always winds up seven? It's mm -hmm. almost like a magic trick. Those kinds of experiences with learning where you surprise your children, startle them into a relationship with the subject, starts that journey towards mastery. Uh, with my daughter who struggled with reading, one of the things I discovered is that if I jotted down her little bursts of storytelling or ideas or thoughts she had about her life, if I jotted those down and read them back to her, she could start to see the value of reading and she could also experience herself as somebody whose words were important enough to record. So what ends up happening is there was this dialogue between the written word and her internal self, mm -hmm. which eventually translated both into reading and writing. But that was a startling experience. The first time I wrote down her words and could read them back two days later, she was astonished. You mean there is some magic going on with those scriggles on the page, and they represent a core identity piece of my own. They're not just somebody else's words, they're actually my words. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about surprise or mystery or risk or adventure, it's getting behind the child's eyes and seeing the world newly. 
And the brain research shows that novelty and those properties actually drive learning home. So it's it's even, you know, proven. Yes. It's not simply just an idea. It's something yes. that they've tested. Yes. Well, we have to take a break right here. But when we come back, I, I just have one qu- more question about, you know, igniting that passion for learning. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Homeschool Companion. You know, we'd love to hear from you. Be sure and like us on Facebook at Homeschool Companion or partner with us. Send us a contribution or a show suggestion at P.O. Box 413, Smithsburg, Maryland, 21783. Or call us at 301-824-3162. Welcome back. I'm talking with Julie Bogart. She's written a book called The Brave Learner. You can go to her website, thebravelearner.com, or you can go to another website that has her curriculum, her writing curriculum called bravewriter.com. Both of those are such a great resource for any homeschooling family or any family that really feels like their children need need that uh, little extra push from home about learning. So we were talking about chapter one of your book titled Enchanted Living. No, we were talking about chapter two, Sparks Fly, How to Ignite the Passion for Learning. So uh, you've explained a little bit about with your own daughter when she began to connect her words into a written thing. And into a, a, a written that her thoughts could be put on paper and kept forever. Yes. Uh, ha- have you been able to apply that to any other subject like math Absolutely. or yes. PE? Or <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about history for a minute because this is something that a lot of parents teach in a fairly traditional way. They might read historical fiction, but they usually are teaching dates and facts and information. When I taught history to my kids, I realized I'm a history major from my college background at UCLA, and I realized that part of the understanding of history, when you think like a historian, is to be able to make judgments about when things happened, why they happened, in what context, and then generate meaning from that. It's not just the revolution happened, it's why did the revolution happen? Who was involved? What were the antecedent events? So when I started thinking about that with kids who have no feeling about time whatsoever, I mean, Christmas comes every 10 years when you're five years old, right? (laughs) That's true. So so I wanted them to start to get a sense of how we make historical judgments. So one of the things we did is we took a camera, this is even before digital photography, and we took pictures over the span of a day. And then we went and had them produced, you know, uh, back in the old days, you had to get your film developed. And it would come back. And then we would talk about how to sequence these. What were the clues in the pictures that told us one came before another? And what was happening in those pictures? And could we guess by looking at the picture what wasn't pictured? Could we guess who took the picture? Could we figure out what day of the week it had been based on clues in the picture? What we were doing, what I was doing, was training my kids to think like a historian. Mm -hmm. How do you do that detective work to really understand the flow of events. And we expanded that experience to a whole week 
or then a month Mm -hmm. where it gets even more challenging. How do you know if this is Sunday? Oh, well, I'm wearing my church clothes. Mm -hmm. How do I know this is Tuesday? Well, I don't. (laughs) It might be Wednesday. (laughs) I can't tell. Can we go back to a calendar and look and see if we can gather more clues? Can we interview Mm -hmm. people in the family and get more clues? So when we're talking about igniting learning, we want it to have meaning for the children in their present, not just meaning, meaning I want to get into college, but Mm -hmm. how we make it personally connected to them. Yes. That is one of the ways I recommend igniting passion in learning for them. That's fantastic. Okay, so back to chapter one of your book. And we don't need to tell our listeners everything because they they certainly need to get the book in order to have the whole picture. But tell us a little bit about Dottie, because we've talked about, you know, the brain and how learning is internalized. But tell us, this now kind of leads into the environment, how the environment should be. Absolutely. So sometimes our best laid plans fail, not because the curriculum is wrong or a child isn't ready, but because the home environment feels too controlled, too schooly, a little bit unfamiliar to the experience of home life, which is kick off your shoes, be who you are, abandon the schedule. I mean, that's what home mm-hmm. feels like for most of us. So I have this very close friend, Dottie. We were missionaries together in North Africa. And I remember the first time that I was at her home. She had three little kids. I didn't have kids yet. And she had this huge table completely stocked with all kinds of crafts and art materials. And it was a magnet for every child who walked through the house. It was what I would call Dottie's open for business art table. (laughs) It was constantly available. And you know what was interesting? Even the adults were attracted to it. You would see four or five kids coloring, cutting, using pipe cleaners, googly eyes, glue. And eventually one or two parents would end up in chairs next to their kids participating (laughs) because it was this big invitation available at all times. It wasn't this uptight, careful art project where Mm -hmm. you weren't allowed to make a mess and you had to clean it up before you could ever go back to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, yeah, Dottie became this like model, this role model in my life of someone who knew how to uh, offer an invitation to learn. And so I have modeled my early understanding of homeschooling after her atmosphere, the way she created that invitation. You know, I think one of the biggest pitfalls is that homeschoolers try to make it like school. You know, they try to, right. they'll get, they'll go and find desks and they'll put yep. up the chalkboards and the bulletin boards and, or they'll designate a room that is, you know, for schooling. And uh, and that it can be daunting. So if you don't want you know, take that roadblock away. Just take that away. That's right. And actually, if you think about it, you brought your children home because that system felt a little oppressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe shed that system and imagine what it looks like to learn at home. You know, one of the things in my book that I tried very hard to do is to pair every single idea with a practical aspect, like mm-hmm. some kind of practice. And as an incentive to help parents follow through, we have produced a 92-page companion guide, a free digital download that you can just get on my website, thebravelearner.com. It's totally free. There's no back-end sale, nothing. It's just for anyone who wants to study the book 
either in a group or by themselves. But what I've noticed with parents is they make the most progress at home if they are recording their experiences, writing them down, Mm. putting them into meaningful categories. Too often, the reason we try to make our homes look like school is it gives us reassurance that we're doing things that look academic. But if we can take the risk to break free of that and then record the true observations and activities of our children as they are learning, we actually gain confidence and we can let go of the side of the pool a little more. That, that, that is such a good idea. So, you know, I said what I think is a big uh, pitfall with homeschooling. Would you think that is, how would you frame your biggest challenge to homeschooling as you see it? That you hit it on the head. I, I see two things going on. Parents start homeschooling with a fantasy of children who fall in love with learning. Like they'll mm-hmm. uh, like they'll wake up, tumble down the stairs, and say, let me out the fractions workbook. Like they have some kind of fantasy, right? And they expect that they're in love with learning children will always love learning. Like they'll never get bored. They'll never get tired. They'll never think something's too difficult. They'll always want to do it. And when they see that their ideal is not being realized, the security blanket of traditional schooling Mm -hmm. becomes their Mm go-to. So what I'm trying to help parents have are reasonable expectations of their children, reasonable expectations of themselves, and an imagination around all the myriad ways we can deliver opportunities for learning to our children that do not look like traditional schooling. And when we bring all that together, a child's passions, school subjects, uh, accommodation of the need for coziness or connection or collaboration, we start to see our homeschools hum. It's like the engine roars to life. And then we gain confidence to keep trusting that process. Yes, I believe so much in homeschooling that I've actually, my board, my school board actually approves for me to be a resource for homeschoolers without one iota of pressure. The kids can come and play PE or recess with us. They can use the copy machine. They can check out books. We have a lovely library. They can check out books. We just, we want to support that uh, idea of homeschooling. And even those that are far away uh, can, you know, use us as a resource if they are in a state that needs you know, a, a report certification. Card. Yeah, yeah right. I, I, do, I do that too. So our listeners can go to your website, bravewriter.com, and you have curriculum there on writing. They can go to the bravelearner.com, and we just learned that there's some free resources there that would yes. be very beneficial. And uh, in the last minute or so of the show, can you tell me what what's on your next agenda besides drinking a cup of tea and visiting your lifelong learning kids? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, really and truly, this is a busy season for me. I get to travel uh, to speak to homeschoolers all over the world. I'll be in Alaska and New Zealand. Uh, I'm hoping to spend some time with those kids who live in Miami and San Diego. <laughs> so that is at the top of my mind right now, all the upcoming travel. Well, thank you for taking this time to talk to us and to my very devout learners. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being here. And I have one last thing to say, and that is God bless.
You have been listening to Homeschool Companion, a production of MRG Media. Be sure to join us on Facebook. Just type in the name Homeschool Companion. For more on this or to contact us, go to mrgmediaministries.com. That's all one word, mrgmediaministries.com.